grace and peace to you from God, our Father in heaven and the risen Lord Jesus. Amen. Growing up, I lived about an hour north of Miami, so it would make sense that I became a fan of the Miami Hurricanes football team. My grandfather and my uncles were fans, so when I had the chance to watch a college football game, they became my team. And as I prepared to go to college myself, I actually never even considered attending Miami. The tuition was too expensive, and most of my classmates had chosen one of those other schools, you know, University of Florida or Florida State University. Now, there are differences between these institutions. They have different strengths, and as football is an important part of the culture of each school, and with Tallahassee just a two-hour drive from the city of Gainesville, they are bitter rivals. The winner of every game every year on that Saturday after Thanksgiving Day earns bragging rights. And to be on the winning side felt powerful. It's been a while for us, but we remember. I chose FSU and the Seminoles are still my team. And we boasted of national championships in 1993 and 1999 and 2013. So no one else from my family except maybe my Aunt Kathy, would dare root for the Gators. But truth be told, when I began college, it all made no difference to me. I had friends at UF as well as at other state universities. But by the end of my time at college, I wondered to myself why anyone would ever think of wearing orange and blue together. The combination of these colors became patently offensive to me. And to this day, if we take the kids out to a restaurant and the server brings over the kids' menus and the crayons, the pairing of orange and blue shall not be tolerated at my table. It's ridiculous, I know. But it became a part of me. It's all in good fun, we might say, just a joke, but it's really not. Yes, I have friends who watch the Gators play. I've even welcomed them into my home, but there was Gator Tail on the menu that night. Not so subtle signal of my true feelings. And maybe a college football rivalry is an innocuous example of the divisions among us. It does little harm most of the time. But those Gator fans could be downright mean when you went to their town. They could key your car, throw a bottle, pop your tires. And we know that when they came to Tallahassee, they received nothing but hospitality. Mostly sure about that. There are divisions, rivalries, prejudices that cause more harm that keep us and ones we love from being the people we were made to be. And in fact, have led to the death of those on the receiving end of violence produced by hatred. And it happens far too often. This week, outrage over the vigilante killing of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man in Georgia, finally led to the arrest of a father and son two months later who shot the young man while he was jogging. Did they feel powerful? Did they think they knew better? This particular case has captured our attention because of a video that appears to show the two white men shooting Aubrey from their truck. But the deep-seated racism, suspicion, and resulting violence are not unique in our nation. Sadly, this division is nothing new to us. Why are so many of us willing to accept the death of our siblings of color so easily? What will it take for all of us to come together 
and especially for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, to speak up and stand up against the powers of the world that seek to divide us. We are one in Christ Jesus, who was crucified for all, who was risen for all. Paul wrote to this newly founded church in Corinth, the capital city of the region, full of people from different places, with different religions and backgrounds. And they were small groups of mostly Gentiles who would meet at house churches, perhaps come together at times as a large group. And it might have been that as they gathered, they rallied around words of different messengers, some who worked with Paul, others who shared the good news in different ways at different times. There was Cephas, who you'll know as Peter, Apollos, another preacher or teacher around the time, and Paul himself, who baptized some or others. He can't quite remember them all, you know. Those who had different loyalties to their teachers, and we do that too, whether it's a favorite school or a beloved pastor or preferred Bible translation. We all have different affinities that become a part of who we are. But Paul writes to declare his love for all the people in the church and to remind them that it's not about them. It's not about the teachers in the first place. And Paul doesn't ask them to agree on all the facts and interpretations, but he wants them to remain united in one purpose, to be strengthened by one another, not torn apart by division. They were not to be beholden to any earthly leader, not to fall in line behind Roman authorities, or live like the culture around them that worshiped other gods or none at all. Paul writes to remind this group who they are, that they are special. They are ones with a mission and purpose. He reminds them they were claimed in the name of the love of God in Jesus Christ and called followers of the way for a reason. For the sake of the faith, for the sake of the church, and for the sake of their own lives, he wanted them to remember that they were one body in Christ Jesus. We say that a lot. We are the body of Christ. And we are. Paul uses this exact phrase later in this letter. He specifically means, I think, that this church at, Cor at Corinth is one body, but we are all gifted with the same message, the proclamation of Jesus Christ crucified and risen, all those who hear this message of Christ's love and grace given through the cross are one body, who receive it and believe it, are made into this one body, are knit together into one Lord, one faith, one baptism. If you hear that and believe that, then you are one entrusted with responsibilities to care for the rest of the body. In Christ, we are all called to love and serve one another, to give as we are able, to provide for those in need. We are in this together. We've heard that a lot, too, in recent weeks and days. But we still divide ourselves. We choose sides. We are all Christians, yet we divide ourselves into denominations. Why can we not be of the same mind and worship together, even though we might disagree on some theological points? Even within our own small group of Lutherans, we get competitive over who has the highest worship attendance, the nicest buildings, the biggest offerings. These things are not the main thing. St. Augustine wrote, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, 
liberty, in all things, charity. We might not agree on everything, but what unites us is the love of Jesus, his death and resurrection, which are God's saving grace and true freedom for our souls. Our practices of politics divide us. You didn't need me to tell you that, did you? And the way we interpret the law or the leaders we support become the powers that we cling to. This fall, things may get even more intense. So keep this in mind as we get nearer to another election. With the lingering effects of coronavirus as the backdrop, we will be pulled in one direction or another. And I know there's more than just two directions. We should remember, though, what really unites us. We are all Americans, if you're watching this in America. I know we're online, worldwide now, entrusted with the right to vote for those who will represent us and, more importantly, make decisions that impact the most vulnerable ones in our communities. Still, we are divided as a city. Here in Las Vegas, our mayor is arguing with the governor. Trucks are flat, with flags are driving up the strip. People are armed with guns and rallying around to protest closures of businesses and the loss of jobs. While others speak out in favor of remaining closed for the sake of our healthcare workers, first responders, elderly neighbors, friends, and family. And we might argue about whose scientific research is more credible or disagree about the level of risk we face and have different perspectives. That's okay. We're still divided in the places we live. We have gated communities or apartment buildings or some live out on the street, but what unites us is that we are all neighbors and rely on each other for safety and peace in our city. We're all human beings. And I believe deep down, we all want the same things. We want to work. We want to be assured of a safe working environment. We want to be healthy and to be able to provide for the ones we love. And we want to make our own choices. But as ones baptized into Christ Jesus, we remember our calling to work for peace and justice in the world and that our choices affect others too. We are entrusted with a holy calling to serve the least of these, to share the good news of Jesus in the world. And we are called to be a part of the family of faith into which we have been adopted. We aren't perfect, and our human nature gets the better of us at times. When we are wrong, we ask for forgiveness, and we forgive one another. We remember we do not live for ourselves, but for Christ and for our neighbors. Some of you will recall when there were several Lutheran churches on one block, one Norwegian, one German, one Swedish, one Danish. The luxury, right? These divisions among us are nothing new. But we don't live in that world anymore. Here, in this community, in our community, we share a message of God's grace and love for all people. And we invite all to come here to hear the good news, to fully participate in the ministry we share to serve at Martin's Mark, to feed people at our senior meal program, to play music, to read scripture together in worship, to help young people be formed in faith, and to show hospitality to others. And even when we cannot be together in the same place, we show up to share the heart of Christ in the heart of the city. We're different people. That's cool. I like that. We are different from the world around us and different from one another. And our uniqueness is a gift. 
We rejoice that we are not united by nationalities, races, sexual orientations, our ages, abilities, or degrees, or our political affiliations. We are united by something much more powerful and much more important than these. Our charge as Christians is to remember the main message Paul proclaims. We are united by the word of God displayed in the foolishness of the cross. Yes, the foolishness of the cross. This message that God in flesh would take on death itself, bleed and die to bring eternal life for a world that doesn't deserve or accept it is strange and offensive and foolish to most of us. That's not what a champion does. That's not the hero we were looking for. That's not what success looks like to us. And so we look away and we disagree and we become scattered. We think we know better. We think we are wise and we think we are powerful. And we are at times ashamed to admit we follow this one who gave himself to die, who couldn't or wouldn't pull himself down from the cross, who wouldn't pull down the walls of the empire and overturn the powers of the world the way we wanted him to, but died for us, that we would be saved from eternal death and forgave those who condemned him, that we would be forgiven too and gifted us with his Holy Spirit that leads us to be able to love and serve and sacrifice for others. What unites us is that word, that cross, that savior, Jesus comes to us, loves us, forgives us, and scoops us up from our failures and breaks the shackles of our allegiances and our divisions and affinities and calls us his own. God's love in Jesus shows us the beauty of that cross, that reality and death and depth of his love, the reality that death has not conquered, that he has conquered death. Hatred, racism, violence, murder, bigotry, and all other sin once and for all. Christ has united us in him, made us his family, and forged a bond deeper than any we could ever create. We are one in him. We are God's beloved. We are his children. You belong to him. You are his children. Now and forever. Amen.